Turn with me please to uh, two openings, 2 Peter 3 and in 2 Timothy 2. We began a few weeks ago on a series we're calling The Way Out. The Way Out. And if you haven't been with us, let me encourage you, you can get those previous messages. Go back in the back at the Word Supply. Go online. Download them. won't cost you anything. Around here we have a saying, no charge, no cost means no excuse excuse for not knowing it, not having it, not getting it. And uh, how many believe it's worth your time to take your time, listen and study and feed these things into your spirit? Makes all the difference. So many of God's people are so easily deceived. They're so easily misled and tripped up and fooled because they're so ignorant of his word. The more of God's word you have in you, the more you understand of him and his ways, the harder you are to trip up. How did Jesus deal with the enemy tempting him? What did he say? It is written. It is written. And you know the devil quotes scriptures too. He quoted scriptures to Jesus. But what did Jesus say? It is also written. So you need to know it is written. And you need to know it is also written. Right? And how many can understand you wouldn't necessarily get that in a half a day? (laughs) We don't have all of this after a lifetime. We were continually learning and growing and and feeding. But uh, also around here it's widely known. Around this uh, Sarasota area. That everybody. At Faith Life Church. Reads their chapter. Every day. Monday through Friday. I said well I didn't know it. Well you know it now. (laughs) And if you hadn't been doing it. uh, Go back to the information booth. After the service. There's a a, a bookmark card that we have. And you see what chapter we're reading on what day. And uh, it's. It works out exactly perfect if you read one chapter a day, Monday through Friday, you have read the New Testament through in its entirety in one year. Exactly. Works out perfectly. And uh, it feeds your faith, feeds your spirit. And so we're literally all on the same page. Phyllis and I reading the same chapter you are, same chapter everybody else is. Branson here, our partners. So uh, if you hadn't been doing that, get on that. If you fell off the wagon... Don't feel bad. Just get back on the wagon. Just just get back on Monday and and say, well, I don't know if I can catch up. Well, who said you had to? Just start with us again on Monday. In uh, 2 Peter here, the third chapter and the ninth verse, 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But is long suffering to usward. Now here, here's a great truth. So many times people think they're waiting on him. And again and again he's waiting on them. <laughs> he's long suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish. Now this contradicts a lot of preaching and teaching. There are a number of folks who believe that Christians perish in situations and somehow or other it's the will of God. That God's teaching them through these things that are destroying them and devastating them and it's simply not true. Because it's not God's will that what? 
that any should perish. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Repentance is the alternative to perishing. Now, you know, sometimes folk haven't gotten as excited over repentance. If I say we're going to have a seminar on prosperity, people get excited. We're going to have a seminar on miracles. Oh, hallelujah. We're going to have a, a two-week seminar on repentance. Folks go, whoo, you know, I, I got something else I got, to, I got to do. But if you realize the truth, you'd be more excited about that than some of the other things because repentance is a gift from God. And repentance is the way out of destruction and devastation. Repentance is the way out of judgment. God's not willing that any should perish. Well, what are they going to do to avoid perishing? But that all should come to repentance. Look in 2 Timothy, the second chapter, please. 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2 and 24. He said, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach and patient. Uh, James says, where there is uh, envying and strife, he goes on, that there's every evil work. Strife is the manifest presence of the devil. And you and I need to be very strong about it, that we are not going to be embroiled in strife and we are not going to have strife in our house. Come on, are you listening? In our life, we're not going to do it. I know the Lord dealt with me years ago concerning the ministry in the church about strife. Because, you know, anytime you got more than one person, (laughs) you can have a disagreement, you can have an argument, you can have strife. And, uh, you know, some things came up and people tend to think, well, you know, and depending on how people grow up to, some people grow up yelling and screaming at each other. They think that's a normal atmosphere. Oh yeah, we blow up and then it blows over. I'm Italian. I'm Irish. I'm whatever. (laughs) No, now you're a Christian. You need to forget about the other. And function like a Christian. (laughs) Which means. Walking in love. Walking in faith. No more strife. Say it out loud. No more strife. And the Lord dealt with me. That as head over the ministry. And head over the church. The overseer. I'm under, under the great shepherd. That I was not to allow. Strife. Because to do so is to allow the enemy to manifest in the offices and in the, on the property of the church. How many would agree we do not want the devil's presence manifested at the church? Well, how about at your house? Well, then you got to get rid of strife. You got to absolutely shut the door on it. The servant of the Lord must not. Strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. Keep going. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them what? 
repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Let me read the NIV. Verse 24, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. You know, you can disagree without being mean, without being hard, without being harsh. I've had people try to, you know, sell me on something that I knew differently in the word and by the spirit. And they thought they were convincing me because I wasn't getting angry. They're like, so, so, and so, and so, and you understand? I said, think so. So, and so, and so, and so, and so. So, so you got that? I think I understand. So you agree? I said, no. <laughs> they thought, well, I thought you said you understand. Well, I think I understand what you're saying. But no, I don't believe that. And I smiled. <laughs> well, I, you're just wrong. That's one person's opinion. <laughs> no, you don't. I don't have to get mean. Do you have to get mean? I don't have to get upset. I don't have to hold a grudge. I don't have to raise my voice. Could we be kind? Could we be gentle? Yes. We can. Those that oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Keep going. That they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. This is talking about people who are in bondage. They're trapped. And the enemy is manipulating them. And they're yielding to him. Is there a way out of that trap? Is there a way out of that bondage? Tell me what it is, saints. It's repentance and it's a gift. It's a gift from God that you wake up. That you come to your senses. You realize how ignorant you've been. You realize how stupid you've been to do this and, and say this and go this way and you can repent. And we talked about it last time I was with you. God has made a way out. And if you don't take the way out, he's made a way back. Anybody happy about this? And so repentance is the way out and repentance is the way back. Now go with me, if you would, over to 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter. Now again, we've already covered a lot of ground. So if you haven't heard it, it would help you. Because this is built on the foundation of that. Did you know who the letters 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians were written to? Well, let me remind you. You're going to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. But listen to these two. The beginning of these two letters, 1 Corinthians 1-2 says, Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Is he writing to believers? Yes. No question. 2 Corinthians, same thing. 2 Corinthians 1.1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth with all the saints, which are in all Achaia. So he's right. These people, would you agree, these people born again, saved, much as us, right? Same church, same new birth. And yet he writes to them about sin in the church. Have you read 1 Corinthians? 
2 Corinthians. You'll see that the Spirit of God through Paul instructed them in a number of things. And he also corrected them. He reproved them. In 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, let's read this in verse 1. Let's read it in the NIV. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. He said, since we have these promises, dear friends, let's purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. As a believer, can you defile yourself? You can. Verse 2. Make room for us in your hearts. We've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've exploited no one. Let's keep reading for a few verses here. I do not say this to condemn you. I've said before that you have such a place in our hearts. We would live or die with you. You believe Paul meant this? Did he care about them? Did he love them? But you know, when you love somebody, that doesn't mean you always tell them what they want to hear or do what they want you to do. You want to do what's best for them. Whether they want it or not. Whether they like it or not. If you love somebody enough, you'll say and do what's best for them, even if it causes them not to like you for a while. You'll put up with that. You'll tolerate it because you care that much about them. Keep going. I have great confidence in you. I take great pride. Well, that's the NIV. I'm greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. Keep going. For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest. We were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. Keep going. God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Not only by his coming, but by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. What's he talking about? What was going on with them? Something significant had happened. Well, you have to read the first letter to the Corinthians to see he's referring to something he dealt with in that first letter. We'll go back and talk about it if you got time. All right. You said it. Verse 8. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter. See, he's talking. This is 2 Corinthians. So what's he talking about? He's talking about the first letter. He sent him. My letter, I don't regret it. Don't regret what? <laughs> it upset him. Right? Though I did regret it, <laughs> I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Keep going. And yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. Now, What is repentance? Some people have said, well, it's it's a change of mind. It's more than that. You can't take any great truth like repentance or righteousness or faith and just make one little abstract definition and that's it. It's much bigger than that. If you look up the words translated repentance, one of the biggest ideas is the idea of change. Change, to turn from, to turn to, to transform, to change. Everybody say change. Change. But then also the words translated repentance in the New Testament mean to care afterwards, to regret, compunction, 
Now this has to do with what he's talking about right here, sorrow. In other words, you feel bad for what was done wrong. And uh, some folks have said, well, you know, that's, we just got to get rid of all that. The big problem is if it's not our sin, our sin's already been paid for. That's true. But then folks say, well, the main thing is just that you, if you make a mistake, you just ignore anything that would try to make you feel bad about it. Well, that's not entirely true. Are we reading the New Testament? Put the scripture back up. He said, your sorrow led you to repentance. As you became sorrowful as God intended. Say what? Uh, What was the King James say? Sorrowed after a godly manner. (laughs) That you might receive damage by us and nothing. Keep going. For godly sorrow does what? Works repentance to salvation. Not to be repented or not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world works death. Here he distinguishes between two kinds of sorrow. One that is bad and one that is good. And these folks, he said you sorrowed, but it was in a good way. Why? Because of seeing what was wrong and how they had missed it. And this godly sorrow was part of their repentance. Can you see that? When you miss it, your heart condemns you. God's not condemning you. Your heart is condemning you. And when it does, it bothers you. How many know it's a good thing that it bothers you when you do wrong? I mean, how would you know the difference? I mean, it'd be, you know, pain. Uh, Who likes pain? But if you got your foot in the fireplace, it's good to let you know there's a problem. Get your foot out. Right? (laughs) And then get healed and get rid of the pain, get rid of the problem. But uh, godly sorrow and repentance is something that's good and not to be repented of, not to be regretted. Can you see this, saints? Keep reading. This self-same thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. What clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what revenge. In all these things you've approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Let me read this to you from the NIV. See what godly sorrow has produced in you. Is he referring to this as a good thing or not? What earnestness. What eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you've proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. Now, what is he talking about? Go back to 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, and let's see exactly what he's talking about. What brought them to this place? Can Christians miss it? Do Christians ever need to repent? Oh, yeah. (laughs) And it's more than a casual change of mind. It's a heart change. And when you've really missed it and you've violated light and you've done what you know you shouldn't have done and you've sinned and you've missed it as a Christian, as a child of God, your heart will bother you. And it's appropriate 
to have some feelings about it. Now, if you'll repent and you receive, God doesn't need to do anything else to pay for your sins. It's already been done, but you need to receive it. And if you repent and confess it, acknowledge it and receive your forgiveness, you're not supposed to go the rest of the week feeling bad about it. You're supposed to be glad that you're washed and you're cleansed. Come on, are you listening? And your righteousness restored and your fellowship restored. But you don't just go on having missed it, acting like you didn't miss it and acting like you don't care. That's not okay. And this is not just my thoughts or ideas. Are we looking at how God, through Paul, dealt with sin in the church, with believers, and how they're supposed to think about it? In the fifth chapter, we see such an obvious example of this. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 1. He said, it's actually being said... That there is sexual immorality among you so terrible, not even the heathen would be guilty of it. So he's not talking about the heathen doing it. Who's he talking about doing it? Christians in the church at Corinth. Did they have some problems? He said, I'm told that a man is sleeping with his stepmother. This they had in the church at Corinth. Now this is not a fairy tale. That church is real. These people live there. They're real. And this happened. Wonder what if we had talked to this man. And his new wife. Well I don't know if it's his wife. They're living together. What do you think we'd say? <laughs> Guys. What's going on here? What might they say? Well. We didn't mean for it to happen. The heart wants what the heart wants. And we just fell in love. And you know, daddy wasn't treating her right. It's quiet in here. (laughs) Whatever they would say, it'd be some of the same things that you'd hear today. And he said this, Paul is addressing this by the Spirit of God. This is not to unbelievers. This is to the church. To the saints. (laughs) Verse 2. How then can you be proud? Proud? Why would they be proud? On the contrary, you should be filled with sadness. This is where the sorrow he's talking about comes in. This ought to bother you, he's saying. And yet, the King James says, you're puffed up. Why would you be puffed up? This is exactly what we referred to last week when we looked at Jude and other places at the distortions of grace. Don't turn there, but in Jude 4, he said... uh, Ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches saying that God's marvelous a grace allows us to live immoral lives. It was a perversion of grace. The Weiss translation says perverting the grace of God into moral anarchy and lack of self-restraint. Holman's says promiscuity. What would they be proud about? That they are enlightened. 
concerning grace. And that because of grace, this man can live with his stepmother. And instead of it bothering them, instead of them saying, this is sin, this is not right, we can't have this. They are puffed up. About what? Puffed up about what? That we are enlightened and we embrace everybody. (laughs) We accept everybody. (laughs) That's what they were puffed up about. They actually had pride that they were more enlightened than other churches. But the truth is they weren't enlightened. They're deceived. Sometimes people say, well, Jesus preached love and tolerance. No, he didn't. No, he did not. We've already talked about that. He preached repentance and the kingdom of God. Don't take my word for it. Put your nose in this book. And don't let some unbelievers tell you what Jesus preached. No. We're not supposed to hate anybody. We're not supposed to be mean and harsh to people. But nor are we doing them any favors by telling them that their sin is okay. And no big deal. And God doesn't care. Because it does matter. I said it does matter. And people are being destroyed. People are perishing. Because they're not repenting. And they're not believing the truth. And you got some Christians that are enabling their delusion. They're coming along and telling them it's okay. That's what the church at Corinth was doing. Out of these, these guys, I guess they were in there. Maybe they both of them singing in the choir. I don't know. Both of them working in the church somewhere. You understand what I'm saying? And here you got daddy living by himself, sitting on this side of the church. And sonny boy. And daddy's wife, former wife. Sitting on the other side, or maybe they had two services. One came to the early service, other came to the second service. We've seen that. (laughs) We're getting into it today, huh? (laughs) You want to hear a nice little social uh, reform message or a little quote from Reader's Digest? Or you want to get in the Word of God and let the truth set us free? Well, it's going to require something of us. God is not how carnal people imagine him to be. And just because people want things to be okay, doesn't mean they are. And people can start their own church and imagine their own doctrines. But it's not going to make it right. It's not going to make it true. It's not going to change God. It's not going to change the truth. And they're not going to be able to live in victory. They're going to have problems, problems, problems. They're going to perish. And they're not going to be able to get free from it because they're not willing to change anything. Are you willing to change? The Lord shows you something and says, this is wrong. I don't want you doing it. Do you love him enough that you're willing to make a change? If you are, we can get out of the problem. It's the way out. Uh, Let's keep reading. He said, verse 2, you are puffed up. You're proud. On the contrary, you should be filled with sadness. And the man who's done such a thing should be expelled from your fellowship. Does sin matter, saints? So we got folks telling us today, well, God, he's not even aware of their sins. (laughs) So there's nothing to deal with here. It's just flesh. 
He don't care. That's not the Bible. It's not the New Testament. Keep going. And even though I'm far away from you in body, still I'm there with you in spirit. And though I, as though I were there with you, I have in the name of our Lord Jesus already passed judgment on the man, or the King James says concerning the man who has done this terrible thing. As you meet together and I meet with you in, in my spirit by the power of our Lord Jesus present with us, keep going. You're to hand this man over to Satan for the body to be destroyed so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Boy, you don't hear this preach much, do you? <laughs> what's, what's going on? This man and this woman are in danger. I said they're in danger spiritually of being lost. You must say, well, I just don't believe that a person, a child of God, once they are a child of God, born again, that they can be lost. Well, you believe wrong. Jude, the whole book of Jude, deals with God having saved, afterward destroying. And you can be saved as long as you want to be, but you don't lose your will just because you become a child of God. And don't don't be concerned about uh, the understanding of this. I'm believing God. If we don't get to it today, I'm believing God to get to it tomorrow. We're going to get in detail about what I'm talking about right now. The Bible says there is a sin unto death. Have you read about that? And that is talking about spiritual death. And we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about what it is, how it functions. And, uh, you know, people create their own doctrines, but the Bible is right. These people were in danger. And it's not the only thing that was in danger. Keep reading. Verse 6. It's not right for you to be proud. So he says it again. What were they proud about? What are some churches proud about today? It hasn't changed. It's the same thing. What are they proud? They say we're dinosaurs. Right? (laughs) We're not enlightened. We don't realize (laughs) that God doesn't care about all these things. And I don't know what Bible they're reading. Did Paul love these guys? Including the man and the woman that's involved in this. Does he care about them? Does God care about them? Yes, which is why it's going this way. Because they're in danger. It's not right for you to be proud. You know the saying, a little bit of yeast makes the whole batch of dough rise. Keep going. You must remove the old yeast of sin so that you'll be entirely pure. Then you'll be like a new batch of dough without any yeast, as indeed I know you actually are, for our Passover festival's ready now that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. What's he talking about as yeast? Sin. And he's saying this sin can work through the whole bunch of you. If we say this is okay. It might not be my preference, but hey, to each his own. (laughs) Whatever floats your boat. We're enlightened. We're under grace. He said, if you do that, this sin is going to work like yeast. 
through all the congregation. And the next thing you know, your 13-year-olds are going to be doing spiritually perverted stuff. Come on, are you listening? And you're going to have a a huge rash of divorces because it's all right to follow the lust of your eyes and your flesh. And God don't care. It's no big deal. Did you read that previous verse where where Paul said, I have judged concerning him that has so done this deed? Hold on. I thought we're not supposed to judge. (laughs) Wouldn't that be what people say? Don't you judge me. He's not judging the man saying, I would never do that. He's not doing that. He has a responsibility as the spiritual head to judge the actions and to tell them this is not okay and we're not going to have this. What's his, he doesn't want them expelled and ostracized and hate them. He wants them to what? Repent. Repent and quit this and get this. But they're in love. <laughs> Most folks don't really know what love is. An obsession is not love. An infatuation is not love. And a lot of folks are doing stuff just because they're rebellious. They do it on purpose because you don't like it. They're going to show all those holier than thou's. Yeah, you're going to show yourself. Because the wages of sin is death. It's serious business. He said, uh, verse 8, keep going. Let us celebrate our Passover then, not with the bread having the old yeast of sin and wickedness, but the bread that has no yeast, the bread of purity and truth. Does God want us to live clean lives? Yes. yes, he does. Does it make a difference if we do or not? Yes, it does. Keep going. In the letter I wrote you, I told you not to associate with immoral people. Now he's talking about fornicators and adulterers. Anybody know what fornication is? That's sex outside of marriage. Period. And uh, he said, I told you not to associate with people doing that. Keep going. I did not mean pagans who are immoral or greedy or thieves or worship idols. To avoid them, you'd have to get out of the world completely. (laughs) If you say, I'm not talking (laughs) to any fornicators. I'm not. How many of your your business could dry right up? I'm I'm not doing any business. Or having any, any deal. No, he said, I'm not, I'm not talking about unbelievers. Can a believer sin? Yes. Do believers ever need to repent? Yes. Which includes being sorry for their sins. Yes. yes. Verse 11. What I meant was that you should not associate with a person who calls himself a believer but is immoral or greedy or worships idols, is a slanderer, a drunkard, or a thief. Don't even sit down to eat with such a person. Have we done this? (laughs) Have we done this? Now, if you did this, what would a lot of churches say? You're not enlightened. You're not walking in love. You're judging. What do you mean you're going to ostracize them? What do you mean you're going to tell them you're not going to fellowship with them? They can't be a part of that. 
That's exactly the kind of religious stuff I can't stand. I'm going to find me an enlightened church. You're going to go find you a church full of yeast. Swelled up with sin. With death working in it. And y'all can pat yourself on the back over there. And man, be puffed up about how enlightened you are. And death will work in your life. Death will work in it. And judgment will come. And you can make all kind of excuses when it happens. And you can blame it over on everything else in the sun. But it'll still be true. I want to be free. How about you? I want to be free. I want to be healed. I want to be free in my mind. And have peace and have joy. Have a good family. I want my needs to be met. I don't want to be judged. According to 1 Corinthians 11, how do you keep from getting judged? You judge yourself and you won't get judged. Judge yourself of what? Sin. Missing it. Messing up. Keep going. After all, it's none of my business to judge outsiders. Now this is a big thing to get. We ought to have nothing to say about people's lifestyles who don't even claim to be Christians. That's one thing that will help us tremendously. You should have no snide remarks or judgments about what people don't even go to church, don't claim to be a believer at all, do. They're sinners. Sinners sin. That's what they do. And you should not be shocked when they do. What Paul say? It's none of my business. Those that are outside the church. That's, he said God will judge them. But should you not judge the members of your own fellowship, as the scripture says, remove the evil person from your group? He said, get them out of there. Did he say remove them? Did he say don't eat with them? Is this New Testament? Now a lot of people say, well, I don't like that. I don't believe that. Well, then you got a new version of God that don't exist, that you've created in your head, and you can find plenty of people that will hook up with you on it, but it will be fantasy land. This is real. And the reason the Lord would tell you to do this is not to be mean and to hurt people. They need something jarring to wake them up. They're way off the tracks. They're messed up. They need a serious wake-up call. And if they can keep coming and singing in the choir with you and working on the teams and doing everything, they can continue to delude themselves that God's okay with this and everything's all right and there's no problem. While they go down the path of destruction. Selah. Think about it. Now, uh, Skip down uh, back to 2 Corinthians again. Go to the second chapter and we'll see what the Spirit of God and what Paul had in mind concerning this. In 2 Corinthians and the second chapter and the fourth verse. 2 Corinthians 2, 4, he says, Out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears. Did it please him to have to correct them and tell them that they had to deal with this? No, it didn't. 
He said, not that you should be grieved. I wrote to you with many tears. Not that you should be grieved, but that you might know what? The love which I have more abundantly to you. Love will correct you. Even if you despise it. Right? How about the father? He loves us the most. And what does the Bible says he does with his children? Does he correct us? He corrects us. It's not love to let somebody just blaze down the path into destruction. Not even try to warn them and tell them. Keep going. If any have caused grief, he's not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Keep going. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. What does that mean? They put him out. They did it. They came to him. They talked to him. They said, you cannot do this. It's not okay that you took your daddy's wife away from him. And y'all are living together. And y'all are here in the church acting like it's okay. They said, you can't do it. And apparently they didn't accept it and wasn't willing to repent. So they left. They left. But he said, what has happened is sufficient to deal with the situation. Verse 7. So that contrary wise, you ought to do what? Forgive him. And what? Comfort him. Lest perhaps such an one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. So apparently there had been some changes. I would suspect that they had been through some stuff. And now there had been some heart changes. And the Spirit of God is saying through Paul to them, forgive him. Comfort him. Restore him. Was this the plan of God all the time? Yes. What's the way out? Repentance. Repentance. Verse 8. I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. Keep going. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether you'll be obedient in all things. I told you to deal with it. I told you to put them out. And you did it. I'm telling you something else. Forgive them. (laughs) Comfort them. Now see to it that you do this too. Can you see this, friends? To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. If I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. Thank you, Lord. Go to 1 Corinthians 11, the verse I referred to a moment ago, in closing, I think. 1 Corinthians 11. Thank you, Lord. 1 Corinthians 11. Or is this the church? Are these saved people, born again people? Same group, bunch at Corinth. They're the bunch that had the gifts of the Spirit in operation. Remember that? Oh, yeah. They had so much of it, he had to give them some correction on it. Uh, the Bible said. Talking about the Lord's Supper. He said, verse 23, I received of the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. He talks about the body and the bread and and the cup and the blood. And uh, verse 27, he said, whoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks 
damnation, that's condemnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. That means they've died prematurely. Among who? Among the church at Corinth. Believers. Sick, weak, died early because of these things. And you see, verse 31 clarifies. For what? If we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Man, that's some of the best news you ever heard in your life. Hmm? Do you know this? There's a way out. I don't care if you've messed up worse than that guy that took his father's wife. If you've messed up worse than that, there's still a way out. If you'll judge yourself and repent, you can be forgiven. You can be cleansed and not be judged for your failure in sin. To my believers. Verse 32. But when we are judged, now why would you be judged as a believer? Because you wouldn't judge yourself. What does that mean? It means you know you were doing something wrong, you know you're violating light, and you just overrode it. Would not change. And then when you saw you're wrong afterwards, you wouldn't repent. You wouldn't do it. And if you won't do it, what can happen then? You'll be judged. And if you are, you're chastened of the Lord. Why? That's even kindness. So you won't be condemned with the world. He's still looking out for us. Even in judgment. There's mercy. So that we don't wind up lost. Say it out loud. Verse 31. If I'll judge myself. I won't be judged. Is that good news to you? This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.